0: Good morning. Everybody doing okay? You guys good? (laughs) Uh, So I've been a little sick. Has anyone else fought like the crud, the sickness, the last, yeah. So it was pretty bad last night. I'm a little bit better today. And I had to apologize before I started teaching last night because um, when you don't feel good, it starts to come out in how you talk. And so I was kind of rude last night, I feel like. And so I just had to say like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not you, it's me. So if it was their first time there, it's, 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 it's me, it's not you. So I'm, I'm, I feel a little bit better today, so maybe I'll be a little less surly and rude um, this morning. But uh, if you're new here, I, I give you my word, I'm not a bad guy, I'm a decent guy, I, I feel like. And um, anyways, glad you guys are here this morning. So we're working through the book of James. Um, if, if you're new here, I hope this isn't disappointing. We don't do like cheesy sermon series ever. And uh, yeah, and um, and it, but it's ironic, you know, when I'm sure, I shouldn't say this. We're starting off really terrible this morning. But it's probably millions of churches around the globe are doing their, you know, new year, new you, cheesy series or whatever. We're continuing on with the book of James, but ironically, chapter four of James seems like it was almost made to be kind of a New Year's sermon because of what it talks about, especially in the culture that we're in right now. So uh, it's interesting. The Bible tends to, to speak to us when and how we need to be spoken to if we will just trust it to kinda to lead us, and it, and it does this week, it's really interesting. If you haven't been here, a couple of weeks ago, we did Advent service uh, last weekend, uh, which was really beautiful, I always like those. Yeah, I, I don't do anything for those really, but, but thank you. Um, But two weeks ago, I I did have something to do with the service two weeks ago, and in chapter three of James, we talked about the tongue, which is, again, if you haven't been here for James, James is an exceptionally easy book to understand. There's nothing complicated about the book of James. but, But even though it's very easy to understand, it's not very easy to do. It's very difficult to do. Sometimes things are easy to understand, but very difficult to put into practice. And and that essentially is the book of James. But in chapter three, we talked about the tongue and how James says we are to cultivate peace. But the only way we can cultivate peace is we have to be at peace with who God is. We have to be at peace with who we are in God. And then when we're at peace with God, when we're at peace with ourselves, we can be at peace with other people. But all of that kind of hinges on our tongue. And the Bible says that no one can tame their own tongue. That has, to be, that has to be a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the only way that our tongue can be tamed, okay? That's what we talked about two weeks ago. This week, what we're gonna talk about, and again, it's very ironic, the fact that it falls on this weekend, and it's also very ironic in, in the face of our culture that we're gonna be talking about the fact that Christians are not to pursue themselves. It is not about us. And so we live in a culture, American culture, uh, that is all about the pursuit of the individual. If you haven't noticed this, then you have done a very good job of completely detaching yourself from everything. So in our culture, with every news uh, with every news station, with every ad- advertisement, everything on the radio, everything on cable, everything you see is about, do you uh, do what you want to do, make Yourself happy, the the goal of life is for you to find what makes you content and what pleases you. And what's interesting about that is that is completely antithetical to what the Bible teaches us. That there are actually a, a ton of problems when we pursue what we wanna do. So again, I find it ironic, this time of year is when everyone makes, and I'm not knocking you if you do resolutions, but we make all these resolutions that's really just about ourselves. I wanna be better, I want this to be better, I wanna make more money, I wanna, you know, lose weight, I'm me, 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 me. And then the world kind of like pushes that on us even more and we buy into this pursuit of self, which is, we're gonna talk about it, called hedonism. And so we're gonna talk about how today the the Bible teaches us the exact opposite. It is not about the pursuit of what we want, it is about the pursuit of what God wants for us. That's what we're gonna talk about this morning, okay? All right, you're probably already regretting your decision to to get out of bed this morning and come here. It's okay. You. Thank you. Um, you kind of. <laughs> Honesty, that's good. We're an honest church, It's cool. You should have got a notes handout when you came in. Everything I'm gonna say is in there. You can read over it, it's not too bad. It's gonna be good, it ends well. Uh, everything will be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, just click on sermon notes, everything is there. If you have a Bible, we're towards the back in the book of James. This book was written in about 54, 55 AD by the literal younger brother of Jesus Christ, uh, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem before he was killed uh, by the Caesar. So anyways, so let's, uh, let's pray. We will jump into this and um, we'll start our year off strong, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we love us. We, we love you. We love us too. God for... <laughs> Forgive my sarcastic congregation, Lord, (laughs) and their lack of grace. (laughs) God, we do love you, Lord. We thank you so much for this this time together. God, I pray that you keep your hand on our church, Lord. Pray that you keep your hand on on my brain today, God, and uh, let my words be coherent and um, intelligible. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord, that we can depend on it to, to help us and to lead us and to guide us. Uh, we thank you, Father, for another year. Um, Lord, regardless of what this year brings, let us seek out your will. Let us seek you out, God, because regardless of what life throws at us in 2023, if we are connected with you, Father, we're gonna be okay. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God. In all seriousness, Lord, I, I, I thank you so much for this church, and I pray that you just keep your hand on us this year, God, and, and allow us, Lord, to, to do more for you and more for your kingdom. We also pray for every church in our city, God, all of our other campuses and churches in those counties as well, Lord. We love you and we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Starting off good this morning, all right. We'll read a little bit, we'll go back and we'll break it down, chapter four, okay? James says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. There's a lot here. So if you were here for chapter three a couple of weeks ago, James ends with this, this really kind of beautiful language about cultivating peace. And right after he talks about cultivating peace, he then kind of turns a corner and he says, but you guys keep waging war against each other. You're fighting with each other. Now he's, a ta- he's talking about amongst believers, He's not talking about warring and fighting with non-believers. He's saying within your own family, you guys are fighting and you are warring with each other. And he says, the reason why you are warring with each other is he says there is a war going on inside of you. So there are passions, there are desires, there is selfishness that is in us unless we let God address that and take care of that. And because we have this unresolved kind of evil within us, we start to take that out on each other. So this whole chapter is about the problems that ensue when we are selfish, when we are self-centered, when it's all about us, okay? So again, in light of the society we live in, we're gonna gonna read from the Bible to live the exact opposite (laughs) of virtually what everyone in society is telling you to do. So conflict can escalate into sinful territory because of our selfishness, because of our desires. Now, that word desire is actually linked to a word that we don't use a whole lot, hedonism. Now, this is a word you may hear in church or you may read in a book, and it, but again, it's not, not really a part of our common vernacular, but hedonism is, is a philosophical term, and hedonism is the philosophy that life is all about the pursuit of our own pleasure. So whenever a preacher or a book or something says, you live in a hedonistic society, you 100% live in a hedonistic society. It is all about the pursuit of satisfaction of self. Now listen, if we're being honest, all of us struggle with this on some level. All of us have struggled with this at one time or another. But the difference between the believer and the non-believer is the believer has the Holy Spirit of God which gives us the power and and the means to overcome our selfishness and live for Christ versus living for ourselves. So we should be living differently. As Christians, we should know that our life is not about us. We were bought by a price, for a price, right, by God. And the Bible says we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. And then we should be living for him, okay? So James says... We fail, not necessarily us in this room, but humanity, we fail to obtain the really, truly great things in life for a couple of different reasons. One, we're searching for the wrong things. We are trying to find fulfillment and peace and joy and love, but we're looking for the wrong source. And not only are we looking for the wrong source, we're looking for it by the wrong means. And so because we think, and listen, there's nothing wrong with money or having an attractive spouse or driving a nice car or any of those things. But if we think contentment comes in those things, when we're looking for contentment and peace and fulfillment in those things, we're, we're gonna be frustrated because when we obtain those things, we, we realize that they don't fix the problem. Everybody's with me, right? And so we're searching not only for the wrong things, but we're searching for it in the wrong manner. And so the Bible says when we're searching for the wrong things through the wrong means, we get frustrated and we murder. Now we may not literally murder, but Jesus can, he attributed murder to hatred, that they're, they're kind of one in the same. So what happens is we obtain that brand new car, nothing against, I love cars, I'm a huge car person. We obtain a new car, we think that it's gonna make us a better, more fulfilled person. Then we look over at our neighbor and they have a newer car that's a little bit nicer and we start to hate and covet this person because they have what we think is going to make us content. How dare they have that and I don't have that. So the Bible says we start to hate them, we start to want what they want, both of those things are sins, and we remain unfulfilled. We remain discontent because what we're searching for doesn't provide the ultimate answers. And so when we don't ask God, For the things of God, we don't see the results in our life that we want because we're seeking what we want, we're not seeking what he wants for us. God wants, again, there's nothing wrong with with nice things. Nothing wrong with that. I hope you don't misinterpret that. But God wants something even greater things for us than, than new cars or nice homes. He wants peace in your life. He wants joy in your life. He wants contentment and fulfillment in your life, but we cannot have those things if we do not go to the giver of those things. So we must not only seek the things of God, but we must also seek them for the right reasons. If you and I come to church only so we can be happy, we are still pursuing ourselves, we're not pursuing God. Uh, I'll put it in a a, a more uh, practical sense. If if you're a man in here today and you are coming to church this morning just because your wife left you, even if you get her back, give it time, she's gonna leave you again. Because your heart has not changed. You are here for the wrong reasons. The, The reason the marriage probably fell apart in the first place is you as a man were not connected to God the way you should be, which means you're not living the way you should be. So if we pursue our creator for the right motives, we receive the things of God, we build a relationship with him, and things start to line up and fall into the place that they should. But if I can't tell you how many men, this is a true story, who have come to this church over the years because their wife left them, they get into church for a little bit, wife comes back, they slip right back out and they end up divorced because there was never any core change. They were coming to church, they were pursuing God, not really for God, but for their own selfish gain. And that is not pursuing God at all and so things remain broken. So we have to put and we'll talk about this later. This actually all of this ironically benefits us. When we put ourselves aside, we actually we win. It's it's amazing how ironic this is. But we have to put our desires aside. First John 5:14 through 15 tells us that when we pray for things in the name of Jesus, We receive those things. Now, that's not like a name it, claim it, you know, magic trick. You walk out in the parking lot and you're like, in Jesus' name, new 911 Porsche, right? (laughs) Open your eyes, that Toyota's still there. That's not how it works. (laughs) I wish, right? What this means, what this means is when we pray for things that God wants for us, he gives us those things because he wants us to have them. This is very simple. When we pray for God's will in our life, if there are two married people who pray, God, give us a healthy marriage, you'll have a healthy marriage because God desires for you to have a healthy marriage. God wants you to have these things. So when we pray for things in the will of God, we receive those things because God wants better things for us. The problem is, is we don't trust God. We think that what we want is what's best for us. So sometimes we, we may pray for a certain job, right? God, give me that job, I want that job more than anything. But God knows that maybe that job is not good for your family. Maybe that move to that other area wouldn't be healthy for your, your children or your marriage. Or whatever, God sees everything better than we see things. So we have to trust him. And when we trust him and seek out his will and receive the things in his will, again, we get those things. I keep saying the same thing over and over again. We get peace, we get contentment, we get fulfillment because we're living in God's will. The problem is, is a lot of us think that we are the center of the universe. Does this not annoy anyone else when you watch TV? And like, like last night we were watching New Year's Rock and Eve, which is like self-torture. I mean, it's the worst thing ever, correct? <laughs> we do it every year, we get Asian food, we turn on Ryan Seacrest and every year I'm like, why do I do this every year? I might as well stick needles in my eyeballs, but, but, but we do it. And, um, but it's crazy just how everyone you see, it's like the world is revolving around them. Everyone else is kind of a minor character in the movie about me. Okay, that's the end of my monologue. Let me read the next part here. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. What that means is, is when you do something evil, feel bad about it. That's what he's saying there. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy be turned to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So when he says, you adulterous people, this has nothing to do with, with sexual relationships or, or, or even marriage in the sense that we think of marriage. That's not what it's talking about. What, what this is talking about is, is when we think of our relationship as the church, us, right? As we think about our relationship with God, the Bible says it a lot of times, all the way from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of it, that he is the husband and we are the bride, So the best way to think of our relationship with God is is like a marriage, that kind of commitment. I don't mean this to sound weird, that kind of intimacy, not a sexual intimacy, of course, but that kind of deep connection with our Creator. So when the Bible says that we are adulterous, what that means is we as the bride of Christ have been spending time with someone other than our husband. The Bible says that is the world. Now, that doesn't mean the literal earth that we stand on. That means a society that does not pursue the things of God. It pursues its own selfish agenda. So whenever you're in church and people say things like, that's very worldly, that means that, that it's, it's, it's the pursuit of self versus the pursuit of God. And to try to serve a godless culture and to say that we are followers of God is not only false, the Bible says it is hostile towards God. Hostile. Hostile. It is interesting when you think about it in a marriage scenario. It's like if, uh, if you're married and, and women, if you see your husband talking to another woman, it's not only kind of like, well, that's not okay. It's, it's an act of hostility, is it not? It, it is something that, is, that, that garners anger justifiably. You're spending time with someone else. And so James uses pretty aggressive language. You become an enemy an enemy of God. So Galatians five, listen, this is all very practical stuff. Galatians five says that when we have the Holy Spirit, in the book of Ephesians, it says, when you genuinely give your life to Jesus, you are sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit of God with you, okay, to help you. The Holy Spirit of God that is in us as Christians is is the, the opponent, the fighter off of evil. So evil tries to come into our heart, evil and temptation is all around us. The Holy Spirit protects us, guards us. It's the opponent of the world, if you will. So when we side with the world, here comes the logic, when we side with the world, we are choosing to be an opponent of the Holy Spirit. This is foolish. This is dangerous. We are choosing to live in opposition with God. And I'm not trying to be mean, but whenever people are like, why doesn't God ever answer my prayers? When you are living in opposition to the spirit that should be in you, this is why your prayers aren't answered. This is why things are not falling in line the way they should. You have chosen to be an enemy of God. Corey, that's harsh. I did not write this book. I just read this book and just kind of talk about it for a little bit every weekend. So, so verse five echoes uh, uh, Exodus chapter 34. It says that the spirit that lives in us envies intensely for us. God is a jealous God. When this church was about 50 people, we were over off the square, um, it was a long time ago. I was teaching the book of James for the first time and I, I read this. I said that you know, God is a jealous God. This lady in the back raises her hand, and I was like, uh, you in the back. And uh, she goes, I don't, I don't believe God is jealous. And I was like, well, I mean, I just, I just read it out of the Bible. Well, I don't believe that, because I don't think jealousy is a good thing. And I said, well, no, sometimes jealousy is a very good thing. What I mean is, if I'm married to my wife, which I am, and I see my wife talking to another man, as a good husband, it should make me envious of that time that she is giving to another man besides me. That's that's called being a good husband. And so every man in this room, if your wife is giving affection to another man, that should bother you. You should be envious and jealous of that. That is, so, And so God, as the perfect husband, is jealous of his church when his church gives its affection to the things of the world. And so this is a good thing, that the creator of the universe wants to be with you so bad that he's jealous when you don't wanna be with him. That is a beautiful thing about God. So therefore, we are to submit to him. And all of us in this room are are, are prone to selfishness, we're prone to pride, we're prone to following the world and our own desires. And here's kind of the, the, the silver lining in this passage is that God is gracious though, God is good, he loves us. And it says he resists the proud So when we are prideful, it says that God pushes away from us, but if we will be humble, God draws near to us. So so here's what is interesting though. When we are prideful people, we limit ourselves, we hurt ourselves, that we do not have access to the things of God when we're prideful, because the Bible says that God pushes away from pride and arrogance. You're gonna think I'm crazy. I have this kind of theory, I believe God loves everyone, but I don't think God likes everybody. And I get it from this passage. He, it's it's like that know-it-all that no one wants to be around because they're so arrogant. And I feel like there are humans that God's like, man, I love you, but like I'm, I'm not gonna spend that much time with you because you're so prideful, you're so arrogant, which says we don't need God in our life, so he resists that. But he gives grace to the humble. So in my opinion, the the key to it all, the key key to salvation, the key to a relationship with God, a relationship with humans, is humility. There is no salvation without humility because it is in humility we say we need a savior. So humility turns everything on. So so here's the thing, we must must work, we we must take action to draw near to God. That starts with humility. And the Bible says that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Not only does he draw near to us, this last part is important, he exalts us, which means he lifts us up. Again, I'm I'm not trying to be mean this morning, I'm I'm genuinely not. But we live in a society that, that struggles with hopelessness, anxiety, depression, feeling down, all of these different things. Watching YouTube the other day and there's this guy, it was the most stereotypical thing in the world, but he's like, there's a company called Mood, M-O-O-D. It's edible It's edible weed, is all it is. Hey, you wanna adjust your mood today? Eat these, and I'm like, what? But this is the society we live in. But you know what's interesting? If you wanna adjust your mood, draw near to Jesus. He lifts you up. That's what it, the Bible says, draw near to him, he draws near to you, and he exalts you. I feel down, talk to Jesus. For God's sake, talk to Christ especially if you claim to be a Christian, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us and he lifts us up. Here's the other thing though. If we're to draw near to God, we have to get away from evil. That's the problem. We wanna dabble in two worlds and you can't move two directions simultaneously. Bible calls that double-mindedness. Make up your mind, either move towards Jesus or don't. Then we need to move towards Christ. We have to take the steps to get away from evil, we need to feel remorse when we do something wrong. In American Christianity, we just make a lot of excuses when we sin. We should feel bad when we cheat on our husband. That's what the Bible's saying, adulterous people. That should bother us. And then we ask for God to forgive us. God is gracious, he draws near to us, he lifts us up, okay? Switching gears for a second, but it's connected to this issue of pride. James says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? What happens is this. When we become selfish people, I hope, this, I hope this slide resonates and makes sense. When we become selfish people, we have a tendency to talk down and treat other people not as good as we should because subconsciously we think we're more important than them. let me say that one more time. We may not verbally speak it, we may not even think it, but subconsciously we think we're the most important person which we think gives us the liberty to talk down to people, to speak hateful to people, to use abusive language, to to gossip about them, to slander about them. And so as Christians, we are not to be critical people and we're not to defame anyone, especially other Christians because we should love Christians more, not necessarily, but we are considered family. If you're, if you're to not talk back, man, and you know what is so ironic about that? Wait till another megachurch pastor has a moral failure and watch the Christians just go at it. Watch it, watch it. But we should not be defaming or being critical of anybody, especially those that we call brothers and sisters. When we are critical, we are misrepresenting the law. The the, the law that that James is speaking about is is the the royal law, he calls it, or the golden rule. Treat other people the way you wanna be treated. That is the royal law. And so whenever we talk down to people, whenever we're condescending, whenever we're rude, whenever we're, we're judgmental, whenever we gossip, whenever we slander or backbite, what we are doing is we are putting ourselves in the position of judge and we are putting ourselves in the position of the one that judges the law or breaks the law. And the Bible says there's only one giver of the law. There's only one judge of morality, and it's not us. And so when we put ourselves in that position, when we gossip, slander, backbite, talk down to people, condescend people, we are putting ourselves in the position of God, and that's a very foolish position to try to put ourselves into. That's what James is saying there, okay? Next part. This is the part that I feel like is really uh, uh, convicting. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this and that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so it is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. That's a very big one there at the end. Now, here's why this is so convicting. This, this, this part that I just read is a rebuke about our attitude that we get to make whatever plans we want and do whatever we wanna do. Basically, what is happening is this. We've all done it, so let's just be honest in this room this morning. What we do is we say, God, I wanna move to this area. I wanna do this job. I wanna do these things. I'm gonna do all this. I'm gonna go ahead and start booking plane tickets. Hey, can you go ahead and bless all this for me? And we've never consulted with God on what he wants for us. So we make a lot of plans, and then we say, hey, Jesus, I need your stamp of approval on this. Is that not the height of arrogance, by the way? Hey, God, I got some plans. Can you go ahead and bless that for me? Like he's like your personal notary or something, right? It, it's pretty cocky. We've all done it though. We've all done this. But, but, but what James is saying is that's, that's not the way that we're supposed to talk to God. We're not supposed to live our lives without ever consulting on how God wants us to live our lives. There was a pastor about 15 years ago that wrote a book and it was a really, really interesting kind of phrase that he coined. He called it Christian atheism. In our, it, 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 Christian atheists are people who, who believe in God, but do, they do not live in a way that resembles a belief in God. They, they believe in God. They say, yeah, yeah, I know who Jesus is. I never talked to him. I don't know anything about him. I never ask him what I'm supposed to do, but yeah, I'm a Christian. He would say that's a Christian atheist. You might as well be a Christian atheist. So how we should make plans is this. Even though we often decide what we wanna do, listen, sometimes we even do it in the name of Jesus. I've had people come up to me over the years and they're like, hey, I'm gonna go be a missionary and so-and-so and and I'm gonna do all this and I'm gonna do all these things. And I'm like, well, have you prayed about that? Well, I mean, no, but I mean, it's missionary work. Yeah, but you still need to ask if that's where God wants you to go, if that's what your role is, if that's what you're supposed to do. So, what we should do instead of saying, Hey, God, I got all these plans. Can you bless it? What we should do is, God, what are your plans for my life? Tell me what you want me to do. Now, here's the other side of that. It's okay to have hopes and desires. There is nothing wrong with you having goals and dreams and aspirations. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's how we are to pray about those things God, one day I wanna live in you know, Maui. I wanna retire in Maui. It's not gonna happen, but you know, whatever. God, one day I'd love to retire in Maui. If that be your will, will you open up a door for me to do that? And so what we're doing is we're telling God, hey, here's something I'd love to do, but I only wanna do that if you want me to do that. And we we're praying in his will. And so we as Christians should have a desire to live out the will of God more than we have a desire to live out our own plans. Here is why. Because as a a Christian, you should know that God has bigger ideas and better plans for you than what you can even come up with yourself. So when my wife and I first got married, my wife was born in Frankfurt, Germany. She lived in, in Germany for most of her childhood and she loves Germany and she's traveled a lot in Europe. I've been to Europe a couple of times, but I've never spent a lot of time over there. When we first got married, we're like, hey, I got an English degree. I can teach English there. She has a chemistry degree. You can go do some, some chemical thing over there. Let's move over to Europe and we'll just live as a young married couple in Europe until we you know, don't want to anymore. Well, and then we both got saved and got into church and God called me to ministry and we never moved to Germany. Now there's a part of me that's like, man, I bet that would have been cool to live in Germany. But listen, if I would have done my thing versus God's thing, you and I wouldn't be in this room right now. We wouldn't even be here right now. Not only does it affect you, it affects a lot of people around you. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, man, God had so many more cool plans for my life than I even had for myself. But we have to trust the Lord in that. And here's the thing, we do not have forever to make up our mind who we're going to follow. Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus said, your life is like a vapor. If you've ever seen someone take a hit off a cigarette, right? They blow out the smoke and the smoke just kind of dissipates and goes away. It doesn't like hang out for a long period of time. The Bible says life is like that smoke. It just comes out and it just kind of dissipates into the air and it's gone real quick. In 2017, I personally, we did more funerals than this. I personally did 17 funerals in 2017. Only one of those 17 funerals was for someone over the age of 40. I'm 43, that's pretty young. And at every single one of those funerals, I looked at a whole packed out sanctuary full of young people, and I would say, your life is like a vapor. You don't know, you're not promised longevity, you're not even promised tomorrow. So we have to make a decision today, whose will we're going to follow, the ways of the world and the will of myself, or the ways of God and the will of God. Now, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but if you, if you look at the world right now, to me, it's a pretty easy decision. We are a dumpster fire right now as a society. So when I look at the world and, and they're like, God or the world, I'm like, this doesn't even take any thought. Like, like, we just wreck it all the time. And everyone's like, New Year. And I'm like, man, you better put your seatbelt on for 2023, quite frankly. It's gonna be more chaos because we haven't changed. And so... so It is so clear to me that my way doesn't work. I've I've tried my way, didn't work too well. And man, the ways of humanity don't work. Listen, if you don't believe me, if you're not a Christian in here, just study history. Tell me one empire that has stood the test of time. One, well, we're Americans, okay. We'll see how it goes. Not one empire has stood the test of time. We are tanking, which should push us towards Christ even more. So again, not only do we not have forever to make a decision, this part is really interesting. It is a sin to know what is good and to not do it. There are two kinds of sin. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, two kinds of sin. Sins of commission, which means things that we commit, things that we do that we should not do. That's the first, sins of commission. So if the Bible says don't steal and you steal, that's a sin of commission. And then the other kind of sin are sins of omission, which means when we know something is right, but we choose not to do it, that's also a sin. And so if we know the truth, if we know that God's will is better for ours, but we do not follow the teachings of the word, if we do not consult with God and ask what his will is for our life, that is sinful, that is sinful. The pursuit of self is completely antithetical to everything this book teaches. The pursuit of self is antithetical to the word Christian. Do you know what that word means? It means to follow Christ. The word Christian was first spoken in Antioch, and it was a, not Antioch, another Antioch, and it was a derogatory (laughs) term. The word Christian meant little Christs. Little Jesuses, that's what the word meant. And people would say it derogatory towards the followers of Jesus. Oh, you guys are Christians, you're just, you're just many Jesuses. And the Christians were like, we're trying. Yeah, that's what we wanna be, right? We wanna be little Christ, we wanna be little Jesuses. We wanna be the representation of Jesus on earth until he comes back. And so they, they, they took it, right? Yeah, we're Christians. But that word means that we follow the directives of Christ and not the directives of ourself. So, if we call ourselves Christians and we're like, man, I'm just gonna do me this year. You're gonna fail, you're gonna fail. It's gonna be an epic fail for you. It's not gonna be a good year for you. Man, I'm just gonna pursue me. I'm just gonna work on loving me more. Guys, I get so sick of hearing that crap. Work on loving God. You will understand more of who you are when you understand more of who he is, and you will learn to love yourself appropriately And then you can love other people too. (gasps) But it all starts with loving God. It's not about you. This book's not about you. This life's not about you. If you claim to be a Christian, you were bought for a price and you don't belong to yourself. That is in this book, it says it in this book, that you do not belong to you, it's my life. Nope, not if you're a Christian. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ for a greater purpose, for something even greater than what you can imagine. So the first thing is this. The pursuit of self, if I haven't made this abundantly clear this morning, the pursuit of self dishonors God. When we become hedonistic, our lives dishonor God. We cannot honor God and do what we wanna do simultaneously. That's why Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You can't do it. God created us to do great things and to live at a high standard, listen, because you are of the highest value of anything in the universe that God has ever made. You are the only, I say it all the time, but I like saying it. You are the only thing in the universe that looks like God. You're it. You are the only thing made in the image of God. You are the only thing with a soul that has the breath of God breathed into them. You are extremely valuable. Live like it. Live like it. So we must intentionally... We must intentionally fight the temptation to live for ourselves. We have to consciously do this. This means if, if lust is our, is our downfall, is we're scrolling through YouTube or Facebook, which are, which are fine, I have both of those, but if that ad pops up, X off of it. If that thing pops up that tempts you, get off YouTube if you have to. Get off whatever you have, walk away from that, deliberately get away from that temptation. If materialism is your, your temptation, and you're hanging out with people who are always trying to one-up you with their new truck or their blah, 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 or whatever they have, it might be a good idea to find some new friends. It might be a good idea to hang out with some other people who are humble and, you know, material stuff is not their, their value and their identity. Maybe it's time to get away from that temptation. Whatever step you gotta get into, choose to live for Christ and not for yourself. Here's the other thing, and this may be the most ironic thing we say all day. The pursuit of self, actually limits you. The pursuit of ourselves actually limits how much we get in this life. And many of us are frustrated and we're unfulfilled because our selfish pursuits have not yielded us the things that we really want. When we're chasing fancy cars and fancy houses and popularity, do you know what we really want? We want affirmation. We want love. We want fulfillment. We want peace. And God says, I can give you all those things and you don't even have to go into debt for it. I can give you all those things and you don't have to keep up with the Joneses. I can give you all those things and and it's free, it's a gift. And so when we pursue ourselves and the selfish things of this world, we actually hurt ourselves. The problem is, is we keep going to God for the things we want versus going to God for the things that he wants for us. And if we will pray, God, what is your will? And again, God's okay with you having desires and goals and aspirations. God, one day I wanna you know, get a PhD. That's not me, I don't even have a master's, but God, one day I wanna get a PhD. If that's your will, open up the doors for me, God. God sees that and he's okay with that. But we have to consult him first. And when we ask what God wants, we do find peace. We do find contentment and joy, the, the great things in life, So the pursuit of self dishonors God, it limits us and it hurts our relationships. Many of you guys have seen this. When we're self-centered, we become prideful. And when we're prideful, we put ourselves above everyone else. And we start wars, don't we? We start fights. Christmases are awkward. Thanksgivings are awkward. We get angry in traffic all the time. We look at people like they're less than us. We, again, we may not verbalize it, but how we act says that you're not as important as me. And it causes division when we put ourselves first. This is why Jesus said, those that try to be first will be last, and those who are last will be first. That's why Jesus said things like that. It's only when we put God first that we can put others first, and we can live in the law of love, which is treat other people the way you wanna be treated. And you know what's crazy? When you treat other people the way you wanna be treated, it's funny how peaceful things can become, how well you can get along with others. The pursuit of self also leads us spiritually astray. If we believe in Jesus, but we don't act like Jesus is Lord, everyone sees the stickers, Jesus is Lord, that literally means that Jesus is the boss. We can believe in Jesus, we can even go to church, but if Jesus is not the boss, we're not really Christians. We may be Christian atheists. And in this, we miss out on the blessings of God, we miss out on the help and direction of God, and we also subject ourselves to the judgment of God. Because when we live for ourselves, we're living in opposition to God. And we don't have forever to decide whose will we're going to follow. We need to choose today. So the good news is this though. The good news is, is Jesus wants good things for you. But we have to, do you know what our problem is? Our problem, if we're being honest this morning, our problem is a lot of us struggle with trust. There can be no healthy marriage. There can be no healthy relationship between parents and, and, and kids. There can be no healthy friendships or family dynamics without trust. And I think a lot of us, if we're just being honest in this room, if we were to get to the core of our heart, we don't trust that God has better plans for us than we have for ourselves. We think, if I can just have these things, if I can just go to these places, if I can just be more beautiful, if I can just be more popular, and God says, no, 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 I have better, I have better things than those things you're pursuing. The problem is, is we don't ultimately trust that God has better ways than us, but Jesus wants us to trust him because he loves us, he knows what's best for us. Listen, we see our life in the moment. God sees our life completely outside of time. God, I want this job more than anything, and God goes, no, you don't, because if you do that, this is gonna happen over here. You don't want that job. I'm not gonna give you that job. Oh Well, God, what the heck? We have to trust that God knows what is best for us, because he is perfect and we are imperfect. You know the biggest lie that media and stuff tells us all the time? You're perfect just the way you are. No, you're not. (laughs) That is is a lie. Listen, don't ever tell your children that. You're perfect just the way you are. No, 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 that's why we need a savior because we're not perfect. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need God. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need the church. We wouldn't need leadership in our lives. We're not perfect. We're very imperfect. But that highlights just how good God is, that he loves us even in those imperfections, that he shows us grace and mercy. We're not perfect, but that's okay. God loves us anyways, and he wants to help us. And one day we will be with perfection, the Bible says, and at that time we will be perfect as well, but we're not there yet. Until we get there though, guys, however you have to do it, you have to start trusting God. If that means keeping a journal, when you pray, write stuff down, and then when God answers those prayers, write it down, and you'll start to build a reputation with God, or God will build a reputation with you, that you can trust him. Listen, we also have to obey his word, we cannot, We cannot live in rebellion to God and expect to get the things of God. Do you guys hear me? We cannot pray if we are living unrighteous and expect God to answer our prayers. Why? Because the Bible says he hears the prayers of the righteous, which means obedience comes first. We have to make sure that we are living in accordance to the word of God. Then we can ask for the will of God for our life. God, show me where to go, what to do. You know better. And then pray for wisdom. Pray that God gives us the eyes and the ears to see what doors to walk in. Not only do we ask God to open doors, maybe we need to ask God close doors sometimes. Shut off the, 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 the bad paths so I don't go down them. Give me the wisdom to see what you want me to do and where you want me to take my family and what my future is. God, give me the ears to hear. And then we just need to know in our heart, God, you know what's best and I don't. It is a trust issue. It is a trust issue. But I'm gonna tell you, God wants what's best for you. How do we know this? A perfect God sent his perfect son to die on a bloody cross for you and I how can I trust God? That's how you can trust God. That he gave his only son to die for us. This demonstrates his love. This demonstrates that we can put our trust in him. He gave everything for us. We can trust him with our future. We can trust him with 2023. Listen, I'm not going to get political or any of that. I'm going to tell you a fun fact. No one, to my knowledge, has ever left this church over bad theology. They leave it because I'm not political enough or because I say something against the government or whatever, and they don't like that either. That's why people leave this church. But I'm gonna say this, and and whatever. Regardless of what happens this year with our government, with our economy, with with, with, what happens in the world, if you and I will seek the will of God and trust God, I don't care what happens with all of it. You're gonna be okay. Hold on. That doesn't mean your bank account's gonna be okay. It doesn't even mean your physical body will be okay. But your soul will be just fine. And that's the only thing that's eternal about you. And it will be fine. If we put our hope in Christ and not the media or the government or the Republicans or the Democrats or anyone else, if we will put our hope in him, you're gonna be okay. Your marriage will be okay. Your kids will be okay. But we have to trust that. We have to believe that. That's why we start off the year with a 40-day fast. Because we start off our year every single year as a church saying this year is gonna be all about Jesus Christ and not about us. So we lay down comforts, we lay down media, we lay down all the noise and the static. We pick up our Bible and we pray and we read. And we start off the year focusing on him. That's why we do that every single year, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Love you guys. Thank you for your grace this morning. Started off rough. (laughs) If you are in this room and maybe you do not have a relationship with God, maybe something this morning kind of piqued your interest a little bit or got your attention. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike is up here. If you have any questions that you would like to ask us, we'll do our best. We're not afraid of questions. Come up here and talk to Pastor Mike, seriously. If you're in here and you need prayer for anything in your life, there are men and women on both sides of the stage that would love to pray with you. Maybe, you. maybe you lack trust. Maybe you're living in fear. Maybe you have financial issues or health issues or family issues, whatever it is. Let someone pray with you. And then all around this room, where we see a lamp on a table, we have communion. And in the middle, there's some on these posts, disposable communion, that bread and wine represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It goes back to what I said earlier. How do we know that we can trust God? God gave his only son to shed his blood, to give up his body for the forgiveness of our sin, to to empower us with his spirit, that one day we can be with Jesus forever in, in, in perfection. Everyone is welcome to take communion as long as they ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins, okay? Let me pray for you though. Father God, as we start a new year, I pray that you keep your hand on all of us, Lord. I pray that you protect our homes. I pray that you protect our our marriages, our families, God, our children. I pray that you just keep your hand on us, God. Lord, Father, give us the strength and the trust to make this year about pursuing what you want, God, for us, for our families. Uh, God, help us, Lord, to to just depend on you regardless of what the news says or, or what people around us are doing. God, Lord, let us lean on you. Father, we love you, God. I love this church. Keep your hand on us, God. We thank you for all you've done for us. We give 2023 to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourselves. Thank you.